We at Time to Rebuild would like to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. At the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. That reintegration piece is tough, yeah? A lot of people don't understand coming out of a custodial setting back into community. It is absolutely tough because, A, you're dealing with the pressures of society, yeah? You're automatically marginalised, yeah? Ostracised because you're you're the bad egg, yeah? You're that bad person, so we're not going to let you inside the, you know, the inner community. So you already feel at a disadvantage, but then people look at you different opportunities aren't available to you yeah it's hard getting back into school getting back into work there might be some issues at home mom and dad you know some of the young people have issues at home mom and dad feel that sense of shame you brought shame to the family etc so it's understanding the various like intersectionalities and things involved with that young person right and just telling them hey you know what it's going to be a journey it's going to be tough we're going to go through it but guess what we're going to do it together Hello, lovely listeners. Today, we speak to Young Victorian of the Year and CEO of Youth Activating Youth, Ahmed Hassan, and his colleague, Hanad Hersey, who is the Programs Coordinator at Youth Activating Youth. And I'll let these legends explain who they are and what they do, uh, but just a heads up, that this was such a great conversation that we couldn't really stop talking. Uh, we've decided to break it up into two separate episodes. So episode one, we go in deep about their workings in the community. Uh, and in particular, what actually happened within their community at the beginning of COVID when health officials completely shut down some of those high-rise um, apartments there in, in a North Melbourne um, and the effects that had on the community all the way up until today. So it's a really interesting listen. So that's episode one. Episode two, we get in and we focus more on their work within the prison system. Um, and how they're helping young people out that have found themselves in the prison system. So I will let them do the talking. So yeah, please enjoy. You ask me the questions and I'll talk. I think you've been yelled at a few times, mate. That's a really good point that you make because we're, this is what this podcast is about: is giving out little sight. You're, you're gonna you're gonna do things that are compromised, maybe the values and morals that you were brought up with, or maybe they fall right in line with the values and morals that I was brought up having. Um, my focus is just focusing on what I'm going to do when I get out. And all the stuff that you mightn't have thought of that mm. goes on in the prison. Yeah, like how many alarms get set off when you walk in with Mick Cronin. <laughs> all right. Mac Wilson. Mick Cronin. How are you? Doing very well. Very well. Good, good. Well, it's, um, it's a unique thing we're going to do today because um, we've never recorded on a Monday morning. Usually, you know, motivation can be low on a Monday morning. So, uh, but it's not today because uh, we've got a couple of great um, guests um, and uh, really, really, really happy to have um, them today speaking to us. So, two guests we have is one is Ahmed Hassan and also we have Hanad Hersey. So, I'll just give a quick bio on, on our guests before we jump right into it. So, we'll start with you, um, Ahmed. So, in 2014, at the age, the ripe age of 18, uh, you started, uh, you co-founded Ute Activating Ute. Um, so born in the northern suburbs of Melbourne of parents to Somalia and Eritrea, Ahmed is driven by desire to form social co- um, cohesion 
bridge cultural divides and activate the best outcomes for young people from multicultural backgrounds across Victoria. Youth Activating Youth offers support to marginalised and disadvantaged young people, particularly those who consistently fall through the cracks. Um, it provides them with essential skills needed to build self-confidence and self-sufficiency. Originally a youth-led committee, um, Youth Activating Youth has grown into an established non-for-profit organisation with a committed team and a diverse and multidisciplinary board. Ahmed is also a director of the board of the Western Bulldogs Community Foundation and also a member of Australian Multicultural Council. And most recently, he was awarded the 2022 Young Australia of the Year Award, which also led you to be nominated to be the Young Australian, young, you young Victorian, sorry, yes, Victorian. should I say, sorry, Young Victorian, which also led you to be nominated to be Young Australian of the Year, which is uh, no mean feat. Didn't win that one though, no? No. Oh, Can't win them all, eh? No. Nah. <laughs> You gotta be kind. And share the love. <laughs> but hey, what an amazing achievement! So really, really, really um, pleased to have you here. And then we also have Hanad. Hanad Hersey is the programs coordinator, Youth Justice, Youth Activating Youth, non for profit organisation based in Melbourne that supports multicultural young people. Hanad will closely with some of the state's most vulnerable and high risk young people, as well as repeat offenders, victims, and perpetrators of violence who are often the most difficult to reach. Hanad is a passionate youth justice advocate and is currently working on an anti-knife crime campaign that looks to raise awareness and educate young people and the wider community about the dangers and serious consequences of knife crime. Gentlemen, welcome to Time to Rebuild. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So, we've got a lot to unpack today and a lot that we're going to ask you as well, but I suppose we'll just we'll kick it off by just getting a bit of a background from both of you and, and feel free to ever jumps in first. Um, a little bit about your background growing up um, and what kind of led you to the kind of work that you're, you know, the great work that you're doing today. Um, thank you for having us, actually. Um, so good to be on this podcast. And um, look, um, you know, growing up, I think uh, I, you know, Grew up in a very diverse, um, you know, environment and and um, schooling, sporting, um, you know, work. Met some fantastic and ambitious young people. Um, growing up in um, you know in the northern suburbs, you you obviously see some of the disconnect and how, um, you know, the the education system can be supportive of some students and some students can't find that support that they need and obviously go off onto either TAFE or trying other things and if those work out, you know, some, some students obviously try and make things happen. But um, but what one thing I really saw was students that continue to fall through the crack because the education system is not so s- supportive of them um, and the frameworks were not there to obviously understand some of the issues and obviously go above and beyond to keep the student to actually complete schooling, which is very important, you know. Um, a lot of the work is done in school so that, you know, you, you keep a young person out of a life of crime. Um, but what we saw was, um, you know, a, a schooling system which, which actually enjoyed some of these young people's talents in terms of sporting and arts. But, you know, when it came to educational outcomes, it was pretty low. So... Um, but it, it was all the things that we saw, and uh, I saw it in 
especially growing up in one of the most culturally diverse schools in the state, over 60 different cultures. Um, uh, so good. Um, you learn so much. The lessons from that time still live with me till today. So, um, But I, I still have... I still see a lot to do that's still left since that time that still hasn't been achieved in terms of making sure that students are supported in school, making sure that they are able to participate in sporting uh, after or before, uh, after school, you know, on, on the weekend, so that they they feel like every other student. Um, uh, th- those are just some of the things that you know still keep me motivated to solve um, because I look at. Um, issues that you know what was happening in my time and how can we resolve some of those issues so that young people could still have an equal playing field um but yeah i'll pass on to my great colleague who can give you a, a bit about mm. his upbringing yeah i think yeah he, he smashed that by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's interesting i kind of fell into it to be honest i don't know where i started Growing up um, in public housing, you know, grew up in North Melbourne for a bit in the public housing towers. I come from a family of 11, so mum and dad included, so we've got like three sets of twins in the family. So, three sets of twins, guys. Three oh, sets of twins. Note that down. Yeah, we've got, we got a big team, big team, shout out to the family. You're, but, um, you're, you're a modern outward chief, you need an award of Australian of the Year, I reckon, for three sets of twins. Three sets of twins. Soccer team. Yeah. That's that is a soccer team. That is a soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. But um, no, it's just, I've always been in the space in some capacity, you know, when I was younger, you know, just connecting the dots. You know, supporting people, whether it be young people, elders, parents, you know, information sharing is powerful, mm. you know, and you, you sort of find yourself in positions where, hey, like you're sort of making a difference. So um, kind of coming into the community space, I was very much connected to the young people in my community, my friends, my peers, their friends. So when it came, when it came to like, right, things like things like um, camps or events or hey let's organize a party or let's do something right i was always that one kind of bring people together you know so now i'm thinking oh, okay so what what more can come of this yeah obviously work at living in community you see a number of things happening good and bad you know um we're living in some of the more you know deprived communities in melbourne there's a lot of young people there or young people and families that are vulnerable you know uh don't have access to basic things you know whether it be um, employment education a lot of health issues you know so the conversation started turning around to, okay, how do we kind of build platforms and put people in positions now where we can get information out to people, mm-hmm. right? What does that role look like? Then I started realizing, hey, there's, thing, there's something called community work where you can actually do this for a living. You can help people, support them, guide them, mentor them, and yeah, you get paid for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the money aspect was, was never a thing for me, but I'm like, hey, I do this thing on the regular. This is me on my on my day to day, right? You you see someone, you help them. And I was like, hey, I got offered a job at a at a very um at North Melbourne, at the North Melbourne Football Club, their community organisation, the Huddle. That's where I had my first crack in the industry, um, led by Cameron McLeod, their CEO. Um, yeah, just learnt a lot there. Just yeah, got to connect with you know a number of different uh, community groups, stakeholders, government departments, you know. And now I'm just in the space, just working. Um, particularly in the youth justice space, which is very, very interesting. Um, I get asked a lot by my peers, but my mum always says, hey, your job is very, very stressful. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's, I like it. Like, I understand their stories, their struggles, 
the trials and tribulations, I'm able to relate to it in a way that I can connect with them, you know? And it makes my, it makes my job a lot easier because we're starting from a position of understanding. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, a shout out to Cameron McLeod. He was actually um, back in the very early days of Bridge Project. Mm-hmm. Um, he was part of the um, steering committee. Oh, nice. Yeah, so great work he does. And I met, went to the huddle and, and yeah. met him there um, a few, fair few years back now as well. And great work that he does. But just, uh, yeah, super super nice guy with, like, you know, making great He's impact. Yeah, he just, just got that real big, like, heart to want to do right. And, and every time you meet him, he's always so interested in what you're doing and how he can help. So, yeah, big shout out to him as well. One of the things I was really excited about having um, you guys on was because I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I know Mark, you feel the same, it's a great opportunity for us to understand what it's like growing up, you know, as young African males in a community. Because you hear media and you hear everything else, and it's I always think there's a, there's, there's a degree of what's actually real and what's actually a little bit more dramatised. Absolutely. Yeah? For whatever reason. Yeah? So... Like when you were both growing up and you were young, like how was it? you touched on it a little bit, but I'd be interested to just get a little bit more on it. Like, what was it like in your neighbourhoods and what was it like in school? Like, like was there a lot of trouble? Was it not so much trouble? Like, is it is it always that misrepresentation as well? So I'd be keen to hear from people that have lived through it what you what what it was really like. Well, you look at it and you're growing up, but not only as a as as a young black African male. But you're also you're a young Muslim, and growing up was you've you obviously see tense times in in, in community, and you know I've been able to see two periods where things were not so good between community and government and and and, and policing and you know protective uh, you know policing agencies, where you look at growing up, you look at there was a war on terror, and. You know, if you're Muslim, you know, if you're wearing a headscarf, um, you know, th- there was all these things that w- these suspicions around the community, and who would go overseas to fight, and you know, that obviously created an us and them um, in the community because it was being used at the time of, um, you know, at the time growing up, you could you could see a lot of that, and you know, and. In the later years, to from you know 2016 and 17 to almost today, what you see is um, young African people being misrepresented on the on, on on the news and you're being used for a political gain, um, almost because it's an issue that gets you know every incident that happened it was blown out of proportion. But you looked at the statistics and it was barely anything you know, of a rise, except for some areas when, where you look at it with, you know, when you dig deeper into the stats and you say, all right, you know, we've got to acknowledge that there is a bit of a problem here, but it's not what's being, you know, shown on the, on the media. So you've got to be all very um, clever to, to, to see beyond um, the headlines. And we always ask people to see beyond the headlines, but as a young person, you know, I think I was about twenty, twenty-one at the time. Twenty-one, yeah, twenty-one, and you know, fronting media conference after media conference and putting together, you know, sitting on the TV, four p.m. news desk live, and you know, it's your community first thing, and you've got to stand up as a twenty-one-year-old, barely with any media experience. Um, was was a tough time to be honest. Um, 
because from there onwards, um, you know, everything that happened, you were almost the figurehead that, need, that needed to step up and, and stand up and, and, and answer those things. But one thing I was really proud of was that I wasn't only an advocate or, or a media person. I was actually doing the work on the ground, so I knew what I was talking about. I knew what the issues were deep down. I was visiting those prisons. I was in there. I knew those kids. I We were working with those kids that the media often portrayed as, as, as gangs and criminals. So the thing is, I felt very proud to think, to represent my community at the time, but also to call out where there was an issue and saying, you know, there was this was wrong, this shouldn't have happened. And we always used to say clearly, um, anyone who does that, I always felt for victims of crime because you do sometimes hear of their stories and, and, and most times you hear of their stories, but what what really goes, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, you're just, you know, you're protecting repeat offenders. No, I'm not. But I'm saying, you know, don't blow out of proportion because you don't want to harm um, their future prospects in terms of, you know, just putting an X through their name and saying, look, you're just going to be a regular visitor to our prison. No, 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 no. It can change. You know, a couple of years of misbehaviour doesn't need to set you up for, you know, you, you don't need to be coming down a, a life of, of, of crime. We young people these days, I feel, understand very quickly what a life of crime looks like and when they do it for a couple of years, wake up very quickly and say, hey, <laughs> I know, I'm 22, 23, I am not... I'm not going to be 45 and, you know, in and out of prison and hustling on the streets. Like, that's not me going to be me. So it's just that, you know, growing up, you saw a lot of things like both as a Muslim and African young person. But, you know, it was very different. You know, at first it was, you know, you know, you, people were, were suspicious of the mosques and what were happening and what were the young people being told and the war on terror. And then a little bit later on it was... Well, that still continued, but then you had the African gangs thing. And by then I was um, of age and I thought, yeah, 21, you should be able to step up for your um, fellow youngsters and, 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 and call this out and, and, and challenge even the highest office in the land or whoever it is, um, a, a, an MP or a business person or whoever or, or a radio shock jock. you just got to be able to call it out and, and, and face them one-on-one. Yeah, I've all, like, and it's amazing to hear you talk about that because I've seen you around and and we've been in the same circles. Didn't know each other, but we've been in the same circles for a long time. And I, I remember being at like you know, um, I think it was the youth summit that was led by the police commissioner. And we had Stephen Lean on speaking about that just recently. We had him as a guest, and he was talking about it. and Stephen does a lot of great work, you know. And we spoke very positively about the work that was between with African communities as well. What always struck me about you was like one, you were very young, yeah. And I always, I always felt there was so much pressure on you at times because you were um, like the poster boy in some ways. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know, you knew what you. And but the most impressive thing was of how you spoke. I was always like captivated by how you spoke because you knew what you were saying wasn't scripted, wasn't whatever. It was real, real experience, real life, but genuine passion and a genuine want to what it does. But that pressure used to always strike me when you were like that age. I'd see you at eighteen, you'd see you at nineteen, you'd see you on the TV, then you'd see you were everywhere, everywhere else. Um, like what? Like did you just learn as you went a little bit, or did you like you obviously have mentors around you and people in the community that were actually helping you on that? 
because I think that was a real big responsibility for someone your age. And you did it fantastically, which is why at this age, everything that's come that we talked about, your accolades and everything else are there. But the work and the passion is, is, is even more, more like ignited. Yeah. Who helped you through that time? And how did you kind of, you kind of, because we kind of saw you mature and grow like really quickly in that space. More so than people that have been doing it for 10 years, 12 years, been able to talk like you were able to talk at 18 and 19 years of age. Look, I've got to pay great credit to my uh, um, colleague, Ali. Um, we obviously we co-founded Yay together, but, you know, it was it was basically both of us on the board uh, to a degree and the, and the community members just in general. Um, you know, they're just general members who'd call you after a press conference or they'd see you on the news and they'd say, look, you spoke pretty well, but we'd like you to maybe touch on that more, you know, this aspect of what you spoke about. And, you know, the feedback was was... 80%, I could say 85% great, and then you'd cop some yeah. wacky stuff like, why do you have to stand up and legitimise it? So I said, so all right, so we're going to go buy it. If, if you don't stand up and, 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 you know, protect your own, then you're going to let every other person, you know, write, say anything they want, and no one challenges them. That's not on. Australia is about, you know, it, it's about, uh, you know, challenging – each other's ideas and thinking. Um, I think Australia is a democracy which is open to, you know, freedom of speech, but also you can be challenged on that, you know what I mean, your ideas. So, and that's why we have media there. That's why we have, you know, newspaper around, you know what I mean? I, it, it was, it was I, I made a complaint once to, to the Herald Sun uh, and I said, look, I'm not too happy with one of your uh, people who write for you every now and again, one of your opinion pieces individual i'm not going to say the name but and this is a person very high up and he said to me uh well i'm a uh, he's got an opinion and he writes it every couple of days but i said look at it, look what he's writing it, it's absolute shocker don't you guys and and they said to me look um why don't you contribute your piece to it too start writing for us and 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 you know give a counter argument and make sure that they're able to uh people are able to 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 find the truth for themselves almost, you know. So that's what I've had to come up against because I knew it was never going to be a balanced game, but I knew if you challenged it enough, you'd get enough people to hear you and jump on board and support the work. And over the journey, I'm just grateful for all those people. You know, when when you are seen, when you are uh, proactive, then you're more likely to garner some support. Stick with us. We'll be back after this short ad. Mick, up in the Rebuild Chopper, looking for sponsors. Mick, how are we doing up there? Thanks, Mac. Um, I've been circling around here now for at least an hour. I can see no sponsorship anywhere. Nothing. What's that? What's that noise going on there? Hang on, what's that noise? Mac, just on the way home, Eastern Freeway is blocked. Just make sure you go a different way. Ah, for God's sake. Is that the rubber stopping? I've got to go. Right, stay safe up there, Mick. You heard it first. No sponsors and punt roads stuffed. Back to the episode. Do you feel there's more voices now because of what you've done? Do you think you, I, because I would think, I would imagine there's a lot of people would look to, you know, you as a role model, but also look to you as, as a voice and look at you, what you've done and you've wedged open that door a lot, you know, and you've made it possible. Um, is that something that you feel? And do you think there's a, a whole 
and this can go to both is like is there a whole do you, do you see the next leaders the next voices do you see multiple voices now because of that you have you have to that's the way I've always seen it I haven't seen it for me to only sit on the chair but I've seen it for other people there's so many there's a list of organizations that are that are media organizations in this country uh they are all looking for diverse voices and and trust me they are looking for diverse uh diverse voices because it creates a different opinion it gives them a different lens regardless of what you have to say you know um it it it's it's obviously it's got to be a contest of ideas you know so um and i feel like the next generation I, i'm i don't want the next generation of young leaders to say look i've got to wait till i'm 30 media trained and um you know i think i've went out and got some good people to train me who have obviously spoken on the media and and all gained all that support but it, it had to happen pretty quickly because it was there and then if you didn't make it then um you know it's not like the time would pass but it's like the issues would continue to grow so the next generation of young leaders more than happy to to be called upon and and asked for opinions but I'm 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 comfortable in knowing that many of them are very confident speakers yeah. and would wouldn't would rise to the challenge what about you Andy? No, definitely. I think you you said it well. Um, I think the work Ahmed and Ali and so many other advocates in the community, you know, the work they've done so far has really opened the door for so many other young people where they're not really standing back now, you know. They're not going to wait for someone to open the door for them, you know. So either they're kicking the door down or going through the window, as I say, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's it's really important because... Um, you see, can talk about the towers. What, what happened well, with the towers? Per, yeah, per, perfect example. It was... It was it was yeah. so way of background. Mm. Um, a lot of people um, were talking about the towers and what was going on. This man, and I just want to acknowledge his work because not a lot of people know him for this, but he was there every day while his wife was pregnant, heavily pregnant actually, and they both contracted COVID whilst he was working hard every day under those sta- under those towers providing food cultural messaging uh health equipment uh, health for their uh homes and elderly people all their medication and stuff sorry uh, medication so just can you touch on that mm. yeah, yeah, yeah love to hear it i think 20, 2020 start of lockdown was interesting for anyone to be honest <laughs> Um, we <laughs> oh, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, I think I just think just the the whole situation with the lockdown, the towers of the nine towers in North Melbourne in Flemington. It's very tragic, um, traumatic experience for the residents, for 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 the three thousand plus residents who had to go through that. Um, and very early on, you know, being from the local community, uh, once upon a time living in those um, high rise buildings, you know, having a lot of family, friends, cousins, etc., still there. It's it was a no brainer. You know, it's like I have to be there, have to support. Don't know what that looks like at the moment, but I just have to do something. And um, it was tough. I would probably say probably the toughest two weeks of my whole entire life. Um, just seeing what went on during those two weeks around just how community was helpless, you know, voiceless. You know, just being stuck. You're, you're locked up in, in the house for two weeks. You can't get out. No warning, no information, no food. And it's interesting because... On a Sunday, right, for majority of the um, residents that live in those buildings, Sunday is a shopping day, mm. grocery day. You go to the local shops, you buy Saturday, your... You mean, Saturday, Saturday. No, it was Sunday, actually. Or Sa- Saturday, Saturday, but the next day was Sunday, right? The next exactly. day was Sunday. Yeah. I remember your... that time very well because I came mm. out of hospital the night 
yeah. before the lockdown. So I was out of action myself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah the, the Saturday, it was it around was Saturday, 3.30, yeah. I think mm. the police were, 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 were reined in. So. Yeah, you just look out, you look outside, you've got probably two, 300 cops outside the house. Yeah, because they shut it down quick, oh, didn't they? It yeah, was like it was. It there wasn't down. even a, a, a. I remember there wasn't even a warning, a time nah. to get people out to get stuff. Nah, they shut it down real quick. And mind you, we're talking about a community who has, you know, there's issues there around over policing yeah. and lack yeah. of trust within, you know, authority, yeah. police services, etc. Right? Mm. Seeing 300 police police officers at your doorstep, it's like, hey, what is going on? Mm. What's happening? And for a lot of the families there, a lot of a lot of the young people there, it was traumatic straight away having no information available to you, right? And you're getting a majority of information from the news. Um, but nevertheless, I think one thing that really stood out to me during those two weeks was the young people who stepped up. And we're not talking young people. They're, they're young people from community, but they don't necessarily work in the community space. We're just talking about young kids who are stepping up day in, day out, pulling 15, 16-hour shifts. Yeah, And what they're doing is, interesting enough, taking it to the man. Mm. Yeah? They actually say, hey, this is wrong. This is bullshit. If you're going to do this, make sure you do it right. Mm. We need some messaging. We need some culturally appropriate food. Yeah, No brainer. You need some halal or yeah. whatever, you know, vegan, or et cetera, right? Kosher. You need support services, welfare checks, right? And you've got these little 16, 17-year-old young people having conversations with executives within government. Yeah chest up saying like it is and then at that moment with everything going on i just took a took a moment and realized hey this is this is good like the future's looking really really bright at the moment because i think the young people i speak to on a daily basis now you know is we're not waiting anymore yeah you know we're born here we're raised here we're aussies mm. yeah and it's time for us to have you know a say in how our communities are being supported what resources are available to us yeah and that advocacy piece right now is a conversation on everyone's mind. Yeah. yeah? So if if we haven't got it, how are we going to get it? Who do we need to talk to? And I think with with um, a young person like Ahmed, you know, it's so many. I tell Ahmed every every time. So many young people look at you. You might not see it. They look at you and they see the moves you're making, right? And they get inspired by that. Mm. They're like, hey, this is this is one of us. This is one of the brothers from community having conversations with politicians, prime ministers, etc. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really wild. So that, it's good. Yeah. yeah. At that time, like, were the young people being listened to as well? Oh, they had no choice. Had no to, choice. You had yeah. to. It is, um, it's interesting. I'll, I'll give you guys a bit of a story, right? So we had, we set up a base. We set up a base in the local mosque, which was across the road in North Melbourne, right? So um, government had their own base. We had our own base. Volunteers. Majority of us don't know each other. Yeah. Different parts of Melbourne. We've got Southeast, Northwest, Mildura, Bendigo. People come out of nowhere. We're in this room. People are working on comms, emergency management. You've got a fundraising team over here. You've got people doing the deliveries, etc. To a point where the government's like, hey, you guys, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> no one knew who these kids were. Yeah. Like, who are you guys? What organization are you guys from? They're like, we're not from an organization. What advocacy group? Nah, we're community members. These are our people, so we're going to support them. We were organizing 3,000 to 4,000 packets of food per day. We're talking milk, bread, uh, veggies, meat. 
we had a list of residents. Residents are calling us on our, on, we had a like mobile phone setups, call line setups, etc. It was a shopping center inside the yeah. mosque. Yeah. It Sal- was a shopping center yeah. inside that mosque. The Salvation Army got involved, Coles getting, got, got involved, the local businesses around the community stepped up enormously. Farmers Federation. Exactly, you guys. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what's this? Um, trades, trades hall, trades hall. Trades hall. Luca Lacario from from the union. They came in. You know, they helped us out with fridges, transportation, walkie talkies. You name it. They raised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a matter of three four days. So, and now we've got resources behind us. You know. Yeah. So well, now we've got resources. We've got connections. We've got people coming in to help. We've got media coming in. You know, actually wanted to speak to young people, speak to residents around what's actually happening. So what the, got me was yeah. can, can I just say this what, watching from home mm. and fairly helpless <laughs> uh you know Cause, cause you, you, had, you had the covid eh? yeah I, I had covid at the time and I you're was you were hospitalized for it mm. yeah I was I was I spent about 5 days there and uh it was pretty tough you know I could laugh about it today but a lot of people didn't make it out of that hospital but mm. it was sitting at home and the number of requests w- that were coming in um you know, f- from people just like, hey, could you help? Could you do this? Could you do this? And, you know, I wasn't eating at the time, dropped a lot of weight, um, you know, still had a lot of pain in, in my body and shakes. So so that, you know, the recovery was a bit slow to start. But what you saw was oh, I felt so proud mm. that I, I saw young people on TV who were speaking who didn't couldn't care less about what protocols to follow mm. but to do what was necessary at the time and it was to raise their hand and and say that this is not right we need more of this we need this support and they were quite articulate young people mm. you read their papers on, on on the guardian and various uh news outlets i was just i was i was i was proud mm. that you didn't have to do any advocacy work that they didn't need to uh reach out and, and find um, contacts for things. They were speaking to international media. Mm. They were speaking to Washington Post and Al Jazeera, uh, Al Jazeera, and, yeah. CNN. Um, you name them. They were speaking to international, and therefore, I felt as though, yeah, mm. you know, it's interesting that in such because remember that time. Remember it well, and I, we looked at it from a different lens. I, I was at home sitting there as well, and I remember having many conversations going like. There's so many layers to this that no one knows mm. or no one can actually see. You've just you've just mentioned a few. Yeah. And I know there's loads more. And and what's probably not people don't know is how everything was activated, like you just spoke about. How many people got involved, how it actually, you know, mobilized the community to to to, you know, try and come in and do the right things. Cause this is just human. Mm. This is humanity. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I and what struck me was I was I was saying like you got to understand that you just, if you lock something down like that, yeah, for whatever reasons, that you are now having people in environments that are not always positive as well, another layer, right? That are not positive environments, and you've got people in there for seven, eight, whatever. I don't know how long, how long mm. was it? How long did uh, it? So 14 days. 14 mm. days it went yeah. for, yeah. So mm. two weeks, you're putting people into environments that they wouldn't normally be in there for an hour in a day. Yeah, and then suddenly you're in that, and then you add everything on top of it, like mm. the, as you spoke with food and just your basic um, human needs. I don't think people really understand the gravity of what it is, and even listening to you, you both speak about it, I don't think I even understood. 
the gravity of what you were facing. Oh, this, yeah. this. I'll Hannah, t- yeah. It's, Hannah, it's incredible listening to you as a Titan with this. Guys, I'll, I'll tell you, it's what, what the broader community saw and what was shown on the media compared to what was actually happening on the ground is night and day. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the most serious two weeks you can ever imagine. And I'll let you in on, on a bit of a situation that took place. One, one particular story that really stood out to me, and this was the third day during the lockdown. At that point, we're still not there yet. Yeah, the comms aren't clear. Yeah, the food that was given out is expired at this point. Where we're giving residents expired food, frozen food, and how it's even being delivered to them, just thrown onto their doorsteps, right? But it was one night when I was downstairs, probably about ten thirty p.m. So there's a barricade between, so there's a police barricade between the residents and us, the volunteers. And we're, we're trying to be safe because we don't want to catch COVID. We're trying to like get information from the inside and trying to support where we can. I kid you not, there was this one mother with her infant son. I, I kid you not, the kid's about six, six months, five, six months old. And she's downstairs in the lobby. So at that point, you're, you're assuming the whole entire building's positive, right? So it's not even a safe environment for the kid. The kids, there's no mask, etc. And the mother's screaming, yelling. She's saying, I need baby formula. I'm thinking, yeah, we've got trucks of baby formula. She goes, no, no, no. My son has a particular type of baby formula. He doesn't do the, the, the normal brands, you know? And I'm like, oh, okay, what do we do? She goes, where do we get it from? She goes, you have to go to this place. Dead night, it's closed. And then she says in, in, in language, she goes, hey, she's legit grabbing her son at this moment. She's trying to pass him through the barricade. Yeah, she goes, take my son, yeah, because I can't help him here. I can't, literally, I cannot support him here. Take him off me because he's better out there with you than he is with me here. That's severity, just like you're there. I'm like, what in the bloody world is going on? Like, it was shocking. There was just trauma. And mind you, the people in those buildings, like, some of the people have acute mental health issues, yeah. AOD, yeah. come from family violence backgrounds, etc. They need support. Mm. And we've locked some of the most vulnerable people up for two weeks. And I think there wasn't a clear plan in place on how are we going to support 3,000 plus residents. Mm. Yeah? And it was clear from, the, from day dot there wasn't a plan in place. To a point where the very first day I, was, I snuck into a meeting that happened outside and mind you, I've never spoken about this. If you actually, if you, I'll, I'll tell you guys this, right? During those two weeks, my emails, my Instagram, my social media was flooded. Every single media company, newspaper agency, etc. Hey, handed, handed, handed. And I made a decision. I don't want to speak to media. I'm just going to do what I'm doing. Someone else will take care of it. Because mm. there's other people, there's, there's other members of the community who are in positions who know this kind of stuff. I'm going to play my role. Someone else can play that role there. But... There was that one meeting that took place, and this is the very first day, and there was a number of organizations, agencies, departments around that meeting, around, okay, how are we going to transport, transport food upstairs? And everyone kept on passing it to each other, you know, passing the ball. Well, we can't do it. Well, we can't do it. Well, we got told. And I'm just there like, you guys having a laugh? Or you just locked down 3,000 people, and you guys are arguing about who's going to go upstairs and deliver food. You guys are taking the piss. It was that level of disorganization yeah. that really a working community, yeah. yeah. I think that's the word I think you both mentioned is like, yeah, if things have to happen, you've got to have some kind of plan. Definitely. Because the, like, 
the fallout of that, I would imagine, like even today, mm. there's still trauma and there's still everything that will continue for people there. Mm. People that maybe had already experienced disadvantage, but people that maybe hadn't experienced mm. disadvantage and because of that, they suddenly, their mm. mental health, their well-being has been challenged yeah. and might yeah. never and might not be the same mm. because of it and need that support now as well. It's that is a, an, an absolutely fascinating um but also, I think the word I'm looking for is 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 it's like shocking as well, mm. but heartbreaking as well. Just to hear, just some of them stories. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll uh, one thing I want to add. It's two years on. That happened 2020 yeah. July. There are still members or individuals and families in the community who still haven't gone back because of because of that. Still two years on. Mm. That traumatic. They said nah. It's we cannot go back because they don't know when that's going to happen again, you know? And it's just moved out completely. This is their homes, places where they lived for 20, 30 plus years, mm. just packed up shops. Says, no, that yeah. was a bit too much because yeah. that place now reminds them of that traumatic experience, mm. you know? Yeah. It's like, it's probably a segue into it in a mm. way. It's, it's kind of like prison in a way, mm. yeah? And why you don't want to, like, why that has, that holds that. You know, so I really appreciate you sharing that because yeah. that is so educational to people that listen and so needed to be he- heard. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate and also like appreciate the work that you did. Mm-hmm. Like incredible what you what you have done there. And never never spoken about it first time. Yeah, first time exclusive. ever shared exclusive. Yeah, it's a real exclusive. But I'm so glad you yeah. did because my eye had like shivered like, like uh, in, in, yeah, I was <laughs> like goosebumps. But yeah. in a way of and also going like I was speechless, just going. It just makes well, you uncomfortable. Yeah, it does. And yeah. it should. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly how it should yeah. be. No, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes yeah. you feel... Actually, a little bit angry as well. It makes yeah, you feel like... Yeah, yeah you're like... It's like, how can this happen? We're, we're, we're living all so fortunate. Yeah. And, and just the whole COVID time is just... You know, as, as Victorians and Melbournians especially, like, it's not a place where a lot of people want to revisit, mm. to be honest. Mm. Nah. You know, nah. You, know you, you can't... It's a dark time. Yeah, it's a, mm. it's a very dark time. You know, even like to... like. I don't know, like, I don't want to get to the politics of it or or, or, or which individual persons were involved or, or were the the issue. But you just look at it from, you know, from COVID to, you know, vaccines to, you know, isolation. You look at all that and you're just like, I just don't want to hear anything got to do with vaccine, COVID, mm, yeah. you know, lockdown, anything yeah. of, the, of those, uh, you know, not, not to be mentioned. Let's just look at just some type of recovering as a community mm. you know recovering that as a healing whole. process right yeah just yeah. that yeah. just that process that we all go through and just enjoy some holidays away from the state or within mm. the, you know obviously within regional victoria but just let's let's get back to you know doing what we love coming together at cafes you know mm. going to the footy um you know going to you know seeing the arts major 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 events looking at you know, what really is Victoria and Melbourne about? Mm. Yeah, it's, um, I was telling the Mac before he came, I was out on Saturday night. Yeah, I had been out in a long time, and for yeah. Saturday night I was out, and uh, it was, I was at a, a um, friend's 20th birthday, it was in Richmond, but, you know, I got on, like, getting the train, it was like, Richmond Bulldogs were playing, yes. the Grand Prix was on, um, I've never seen the place busier, I've never seen that many people out, I've never seen every, you know, bars completely, like, like packed, um, Food, restaurants, everywhere, the public transport, the streets. I actually had to take him in and I was like, 
this is crazy. Yeah. Like I've forgotten what this is like, mm. you know, and 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 you not that you have a little bit of anxiety, and it was just like I was like, wow, it's going to take a minute to actually look at this, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then and then going back to what you said, I was like, this is what it used to be like. This was the norm, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I I was glad I came back to to you know saying to my wife the next day, I was like, but that's what you this is this is living. Yeah, you know, really- it has to get back to this, you know, and you yeah. can't live with the fear of yeah, I might get caught, whatever. You're like. Just got to live your lives and live live on now because mm. too much damage has been done the other way. You can't look back. Yeah, it, it, it was just awkward. I, I remember coming out of lockdown and uh, not being. I had, I had my first meeting right. So and then you you had that the mask on at a cafe unless you're drinking something. So you you you're talking to the person and the whole place is a little bit loud and. Trying to yell through your mask, and that person <laughs> oh, is trying to yell, and it was just like this is this just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm like, mate, are you are you okay with you know? I asked the cafe owner. I'm like, it's just becoming a bit difficult. Um, it's taking a little bit more energy from me. Yeah. Uh, do you mind if I take off my mask and, and, and talk to him? Like, I'm happy to pay the fine. I, I couldn't care, but <laughs> let me just. You know, it's, we tried this for 10 minutes, it's not working, yeah. and it's not going to work. So I said, let me take it off. Like, you're looking at it at that time. And also, you know, when you came out of COVID, like, like I remember I couldn't even focus at, like, look at the person who I'm talking to in the mm. eye for, like, more than a couple of minutes, and then I'd just get distracted and look away mm. and on my phone and stuff like that because you were talking through a screen and mm. then you were able to, ah, you know, yeah, chat at the yeah. same time and do mm. 50 other things around the thing. Oh, yeah, it's exa- and it was exhausting when you're in meeting after meeting looking at a screen. Correct. You're not, you're not exactly. meant for that. No. Yeah. You're always having things not built from that, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm the same. Like, I look, with a mask and in meetings – and an Irish accent. Yes. I was just, I was, I was facing every challenge that could be. So God knows how many people walked out of meeting going, I don't know what the hell Mick was talking about for half an hour. I just kept nodding. You well, were forgiven. Yeah, that's right. A lot of contracts got signed then. It was good yeah. though. You yeah. Know? Yeah. They didn't know what I was on about. Just sign it there. Hope you guys enjoyed the first part of the conversation with Ahmed Hassan and Hanat Hersey. Uh, I know we did, and it only gets better from here. So head over to Part B to listen about their impact in the Victorian justice system. If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help at ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.